Can, Brian, can you hear Tom Petty right now? Well, Greg, we we all hear Tom Petty in our hearts, you know. Yeah, well, I can hear uh, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, American <laughs> Girl, being performed by yet another, or possibly the same fucking lame ass like classic rock through grunge cover band playing at the goddamn gravel pit that passes for a uh, brewery tap room that is now like on my block. Uh, <laughs> like, first of all. No, nobody wants this. Who want? Who wants to come <laughs> down to the ship canal? I can see like it's nice to have like some picnic tables that serve they serve beer at and have a food truck at like in the neighborhood. You don't have to go all the way to the top of the hill or to Fremont, but like the who and then they have giant TV for the people go there and watch the game. You know, fine, fine. <laughs> no one, no one wants to come and listen in twenty twenty three. To a fucking rock band doing fucking Don't Stop Believing. <laughs> or like, uh, what did I hear last Friday that was very loud? Uh, like uh, like some ZZ Top, you know, some of your arena rock classics like Highway to Hell, you know. Mm -hmm. Who wants this? Who, who was asking for this? Well, part of what makes it so brutal is rock music essentially stopped existing or getting made in any real way, like 2002, you know, like the fifth stray plane from 9-11 ran into rock music, and destroyed it. And um, which means that the songs that you're hearing right now, it's not just like, oh, I want to hear that song from 40 years ago that I remember. It's I want to hear that song they've been playing for 40 years straight because there's literally been nothing else to take its place. Well, it's like it's just it's just this I have forever. A, I have a drummer and I play guitar and can sing. And someone wants us to play in a gravel pit on a like six inch tall stage for some people drinking beer in the middle of like nowhere. What songs can we play? And that's it. It's 2002 or earlier, right? There is nothing else that you could even like pretend anyone wants to hear you play with a guitar and a drum set, mm -hmm. you know, because and it's dead. It just has no it just has no juice. It's just corny. It's fucking loud. Why does it have to be so fucking loud? <laughs> I can, if I can hear it from here in the boat, my God, at least if it's picking up on the mic, I don't give a shit. I'm not going to. It's going to be some fun background music for the listeners, you know? They'll be like, oh, Last Dance with Mary Jane. Yes. All right. Uh, in fact, I'm going to turn it up. Welcome back to the Mechanical Freak Podcast, broadcasting live from Tom Petty's farm in Indiana, where Greg is rocking hard. He's got his uh, jeans rolled up, no shoes, just out there in the mud and dirt, you know, hoping he doesn't get Ebola, you know, he's got, a, got his cutoff shirt on, just rocking to Tom Petty. Is this know? how your parents met or something? <laughs> they're, they're too old for Tom Petty now. My mom uh, does have a, a, a famous story in family lore of seeing Chicago and the guy that opened was, um, uh, what's his name, McLean, the American Pie guy. And uh, he came out and sang American Pie, a song that was not a hit at this point, but is also an oppressively long song. Oh, and yeah. 
the crowd basically tolerated it, but like we're not interested. And this is back when sometimes starting acts would just play like a song and then leave, right? And then the main act would come on who has like a big whole show. So he walks up the stage and apparently somebody back there is like, oh yeah, the guys from Chicago either aren't here or too high or getting laid or no, whatever. No, he came out and played it a second time. He came out and played it a oh second time. Oh my God. But the crowd this time was like, look, we're in the Midwest. We politely tolerated your presence. <laughs> you know, like this thing that we all expect and are okay with. When he came out and did it a second time, apparently they just started th- like pitching stuff at him on stage and screaming at him and he went running off. So, <laughs> Which, And he never man, sang that song again. Imagine if the rest of America had taken up that same, you know, had taken up arms in the way that these people in Wisconsin, I think she saw them in Wisconsin, these people in Wisconsin did. Uh, like, we wouldn't have to deal with that song. One of the worst songs ever perpetrated on the American public. We would just not have to deal with it. Amazing. Uh, We're you're so thinking close. the whole time, stop telling us about how much you want to kill yourself and do it. <laughs> exactly right <laughs> if you really want to kill yourself your song would be a tight two minutes yeah. um, oh the levy was dry shut the fuck up <laughs> fucking nerd all right well greg uh it's been a wonderful week uh here in seattle and that we've been getting great news it's a great week for the news um the seattle times has had not one, not two, but potentially three interesting stories in it. That's unheard of over the course of a week. Uh, our first one, Greg, I just got one question for you. Are you ready for some football? All, all day, every day, Brian, you know me. So the Times got the, the football season started out right. Uh, this article, it had me right from the headline. Praying Bremerton football coach Joe Kennedy quits claims retaliation. Okay, now, I'm looking at the picture here. Uh, <laughs> first thing I'm noticing is, oh, we're talking about American football. Okay, all right. Um, wow, this guy looks really cool, like a guy I would want to know. Yeah, he looks like a guy that when you see him walk into a room, you're like, this guy is... Uh, definitely going to wait his turn to talk in a conversation. And he's definitely only going to have cool, interesting things to say and not be annoying as fuck. That's for sure. Uh, I have to thank uh, Ryan in Long Beach, by the way, for sending me this article to get me ready for football season. And boy, howdy did it. Is that a tribal tattoo or is that a tattoo of a gun? Either way, cool ass guy. Well, the funny part is, yeah, so he's got a, a just awful tribal armband or whatever shit tattoo uh on the one arm and then it's i think it says denise on his forearm which is funny uh, try to get the spacing on that letters done a little bit better next time guy all right so the article goes after winning a u.s supreme court case to get his coaching job back and igniting Hell a firestorm yes. over praying in public schools joe kennedy resigned only one game into bremerton high school's football season I wonder why he resigned. I mean, he fought so hard to get his job back. Let's see I what mean, the next paragraph says. Okay, like this guy so, sucks, obviously, but like he, he's basically our dad. Like, like <laughs> now, like he he owns he owns us. He owns the city of Bremerton. He owns the Supreme Court. He this motherfucker 
won a Supreme Court case. That is putting you in, you know, fucking rarefied air. Specifically, like a single fucking lawsuit for a guy. Okay, just a guy. <laughs> a guy went to the Supreme Court and won. It's him and fucking Miranda. Okay, like. Well, I, I think it's going to be abundantly clear. He was not exactly there by himself, but with an army of dark no, of money course. and provided lawyers. But but even so, him, he's a winner, man. This guy's kicking our ass. Oh, he won in this case in that he probably caused the school district to blow untold sums of money, uh, maybe even the state to blow untold sums of money on a frivolous case uh, to get him his job back, which he then quit one day into. Once Yo, he got of it course, back. of course. That's, uh, that's the punchline of this reporting is like, can you believe yeah. uh, this guy won this whole case and then uh, quit? Well, like, let's hear it. Let's hear them tell it, you know. So Kennedy already back in Pensacola, Florida, where he and his wife have lived for three years. What? <laughs> that due to a family health situation... And what he described as a deteriorating situation at Bremerton School District, quote unquote, I'm done. His resignation is pending school board approval. Now, which is it, my dude? Which well, is it? <laughs> well, that I'm going to say, uh, you know, family health situation, deteriorating situation of the school district. OK, maybe there's a reason why you quit. Maybe living 3,000 miles away from your job is why you quit, though. I'm, I'm just going to put that out there. That maybe the fact that he doesn't live in Washington State and actually lives as far from Washington State as he could possibly be while still being in the country might have something to do with why he quit. His decision was not ac exactly a surprise. Yeah, because he doesn't even fucking live here. Kennedy strongly hinted before Friday's game that he might not stick around for his part-time assistant coaching gig. He said the game, which Bremerton won, was a, quote, fine bow, unquote, on top of the Supreme Court victory that cleared the way not only for his return after an eight-year absence, but for him to pray on the field. He said he could think further, or he couldn't think further ahead than that. I, I definitely believe that part. I mean, I, I don't. I think, like, they're writing this, the Seattle Times reporter here, Nina Shapiro, you know, is writing this in as as like suggestive a way as trying to peel back the motivations here, like very clearly, but can only go so far. And so like the, the, the gist here is like, yeah, can you believe this guy who clearly lives in Florida was never really going, spent, you know, eight years fighting this and went to the Supreme court and did all this for a job. He was obviously never really going to come back to. And it's like, yeah, no shit. No shit. <laughs> yes, he the fact that he came and did the one day is the cherry on top. He gets to come in, do it, say he did it, you know, fulfill like the do the thing the Supreme Court is making the, the school district do, which is take him back under fucking duress. OK, shove mm -hmm. it in their faces and then gets to claim that he was he had to quit because of the persecution again another round of persecution even after the supreme court stepped in to right the wrongs previously so it's not even that it's that he lived lives in florida it's that he lost this job eight years ago and it's never at any point been about getting his job back oh well, of course at any point since it's about what it was the a a 
a religious conservative challenge in the Supreme Court about prayer in schools, of which he got to be the star. And the only question is, is he running for Congress in Florida or is he just going to become a, a talk radio shithead? <laughs> yeah, or yeah. Is he already, you know? Well, we'll get to that. So uh, basically, you know, he goes on about how persecuted he is, blah, blah, blah. Uh, mentions that he, you know, uh, that he he complains about his pay, but they actually like doubled his pay. Um and uh, you get counsel from the school district saying, oh, we, we were always suspicious that he didn't actually want to work here. And here it is or whatever. Right. So let's get down a little further. It all began in 2015 when the district learned Kennedy was praying with students on the field and in the locker room. He had been doing so for years. But now that the district knew it directed him against over on duty activity that could be taken as an endorsement of religion for fear of violating the Establishment Clause of the Constitution. He then claimed he wanted only a, quote, short, private, personal prayer. But his religious display on the field by then turned into a national media circus and a cause celeb. The district warned again about violating the Establishment Clause. Kennedy said the district made clear on his evaluation that year that he wouldn't be rehired. And according to the district, he didn't reapply for the 2016 season. A divided Supreme Court ultimately ruled that Kennedy had a right to pray under free speech and exercise clauses as long as he wasn't coercing others to join him. After the ruling, the district wrote a policy that allows coaches to pray while not actively supervising players if the coaches keep their distance from students when the prayers begin. After that, students can join if they choose. I can't tell them to or not to, Kennedy acknowledged. If they want to join, cool. If they don't, that's also cool. No students did so. (laughs) (laughs) Incredible. A larger than normal crowd suggested Kennedy's supporters showed up, but none stormed the field to join him in prayer as happened at a 2015 homecoming game. A scattering of applause accompanied the coaches kneeling at the 50 yard line. Um, so Kennedy, uh, so we'll get into what he's actually doing here in a second. Let's just talk. I mean, this part's very funny to me. I mean, there's all, lots of little things you can pick out of here of like, uh, oh, yeah, the football coach can, you know, pray as long as it's not coercive. And it's like, yeah, there's nothing like a, you know, like a football coach's entire thing isn't just coercive. Right. Right. Uh, but the real thing is, I mean, we must be in Washington that anybody complained about this because all across the South, at least, and I think in most of the Midwest and things like that, not only are all football teams in high school explicitly christian nationalists right they're actually part of a religious cult of football high school football coaches like yeah high school football coaches have their own cult that they all belong to called the promise keepers and yeah that's you know so and they're all praying in the locker rooms and on the field with the oh, of course teams. yeah yeah and honestly I, I think what ended up happening with this guy is he ultimately that was not satisfied and he wanted to get a real job, right? And and get that bag. So I think he started like doing it out on the 50 yard line to like doing it in the most conspicuous way possible to essentially you know create an incident yeah. that he could then uh cash in as on. a as a a form of political protest. Mm-hmm. So Praxis, Brian. He was doing Praxis. Exactly. And he won. So so let's get into potential uh, motivations here. Kennedy quit his full-time job at the Bremerton shipyard before moving to Florida. With his newfound celebrity, he has a promotional website, 
a book coming out in October, and a movie about his life in the works. Shut the fuck up. He speaks to political and religious groups and says politicians, including Republican presidential candidate Ron DeSantis, uh, have courted him for his endorsement. Who's making his movie? I bet it's like, oh God, I bet it's like Alex Kendrick or one of the my one of those awesome Christian filmmakers. Um, it'll be like a low rent uh, Christian production, probably. Oh yeah, this just isn't that interesting a story? But it is perfect for that. That kind of like you know the kind of like the mid level like competence like Christian movies like The God's Not Dead, and at least the first one. You know, um, <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm picturing. Well, I love this. So in this paragraph, right, they they talk about how he brags that Ron DeSantis is courting him for his endorsement. But then it immediately follows by saying Kennedy says he's weighing other options, is prepared to jump in to support those fighting for religious religious liberty. But I like that even this fucking loser grifter, uh, when offered the endorsement of Ron DeSantis is like, nah, I'm good. (laughs) I I keep correcting you, Brian. Winner grifter. Winner grifter. This is a winner grifter. Okay. Yes, of course he knows he can smell the stink on fucking DeSantis. This is a guy who just won at the Supreme Court, has a book coming out, and is someone's making a fucking movie about him. And he's living it up in Pensacola. Like this guy is this guy's winning. This absolute shithead. Look at that fucking skull. Look at that face. <laughs> what an asshole. Man, you pegged it too. Like, yeah, like you can just, I can feel him interrupting me right now. <laughs> he looks at a guy, I don't know, sometimes you like, maybe it's a work event or some sort of like a barbecue party, picnic, whatever, right? And where you're meeting some outside people, right? So, you know, people are bringing their like weird relatives or whatever. And always there's a guy that looks like that that shows up. And every time I see him, I'm always like, I got to get as far away from this fucking guy. Like, like he's never going to shut the fuck up. And like, it'll be like, you know, just like self-serious. Like, oh yeah. Like low boil, self-serious, you know, and man, those prayers, Lord, we just got to give it up to you, man. I can just, I feel it. I feel it. Yeah. I've known these guys, you know, like I, I grew up in the kind of church of dickhead, you know, yeah, bland American Protestant, uh, church, church of dickheads. Like that's, that's where I'm from. You know, I know this guy. I was at like a work picnic in like 2012 or something to give you an idea. I'd be like significantly down the road from 2001 important to the story. And a guy who looked just like this came up to me and because I had a beard or whatever, like literally everybody in Washington at this point came up to me. And he's like, what are you in the Taliban? And so I already oh, looked yeah. at the Taliban. And so I was laughingly looked. I was like, yeah, I am. <laughs> <laughs> and then he got like super mad and serious at me. Like, like he was going to turn me into SEAL Team oh, come 6. On. Like, come on. He brought it up. Yeah. Yeah. So he's like, I, he basically, he probably to this day is like, I uncovered a Taliban cell in Snohomish. like but that's exactly this guy incredible oh my god oh awful i hope this guy nothing but bad president of america sometimes look nothing keeps nothing but good things are happening to this guy he is of course on a streak that you can't like he's going forever like the only way (laughs) the only thing that's going to bring him down is too much success okay you know what's like actually 
so my first thought when they said he rejected the Ron DeSantis thing, I was like, well, he's still waiting for daddy, right? He still wants Trump, right? Everybody wants Trump. Yeah. Trump does not have a running mate. <laughs> you know? What if he had, what if he had a, the power, the personal power and charisma of a small town, uh, a part-time assistant high school football coach? I mean, he'd never worry about him, like, getting too big for his britches, you know? He, he's a guy you could control completely, you know? Well, also, talk about a guy who'd just be happy to be there, too. You yeah, know? yeah. He would love to Trump too much to upstage him. That, and if Trump ordered him to, like, you know, if it was, like, January 6th again or whatever, and Trump was like, hey, go down to the Senate, tell him to do whatever, uh, this guy would, do, hey, he, he would do it. He'd be like, hell yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm calling it right now. Trump's running mate, you know who it's going to be? Let's hear it. Ivanka. Oh my god, that that's powerful right there. We'd have to elect him because of uh, equality and all. It'd be yeah. sexist not to vote for him at that point. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I don't have, he, I mean, he probably can't lose anyway, right? Like, <laughs> or it's 50-50. I, I don't know. It's like, it's he can win. But if he but I don't know if he did something as bold as putting his own daughter that he has the hots for on the ticket. Mm -hmm. It's so crazy. And it's like for him, like he probably only like 50, 50 even wants to be president again, just like before, you know, like it's just a thing he feels like he has to do. So like he's, a, he might figure you go big, you know, and that way yeah. if we do it, like, she can get elected again and we can keep and I can there can always be a Trump in the White House for the rest of my life. So I don't ever have to worry about going to jail, you know? Well, and like part of the reason why I ended up having to get off Facebook, you know, because one of the many reasons why I was like, I can't handle the site anymore is there's like a, an ecstatic truth that you learn through Facebook that every conservative dad on that website is trying to create like a hot daughter website, you know, like they're like all just trying to fuck their daughters. So like, I mean, he would lock up the conservative dad vote. They'd be like, yeah, that, that daughter's so hot. Like if Trump married Ivanka and then had her as vice president, he would just totally lock that vote up. And then for Libs, you got to vote for him because you know, she's a lady. He, you know? He'd, He'd lock up the incest porn demographic. Basically, you know? yeah. The, whatever fucking, yeah, like mi like suburban conservative middle-aged dads mm -hmm. that are propping up half the fucking porn industry <laughs> and, you know, demanding more and more incest porn. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, uh, yeah. Um, well, you know, look. We're making jokes and all, but honestly, uh, the old Warren heads online, all the all the Liz lads, they have come up with a rock solid strategy. So we don't have to worry about this. Biden's getting reelected. Their strategy of telling people America already is great and you're fucking stupid for thinking otherwise has been running strong now for weeks. And uh, mm -hmm. I gotta say, I think it's winning more and more people over. <laughs> so uh, I, I think they got locked up. No no worries going into 2024. Clear sailing. <laughs> Hell yeah. They got it. <laughs> well, additional good news for 2024. We got another article from, uh, shall we say, friend of the show? No, she won't come on our show. <laughs> from actual good reporter of the Seattle Times, Heidi Gruber. That's not to shit on the previous reporter. They're probably fine. Um, but uh, she had an article 
uh, which had this headline that you pointed out, Greg, is amazing. Seattle area home prices hold steady as uh, market lags. Thanks. What? <laughs> what? That's really all you need to know, right? Like, <laughs> so home sales are slowing down. That means that means uh, prices are going down, right? Mm. <laughs> well, let's find that, out. Was that your first thought? Let's get that out of the way right up front. No, they're not. <laughs> so King County home prices held steady in August as high interest rates continue to put a damper on home sales. The median single family home in King County sold for $906,250 in August, up less than 1% from a year ago, according to new data released Friday, blah, blah, blah. Uh, they also mentioned price changes in uh, other counties, adjoining counties, which are all just stuck essentially at last summer's prices. Um, Let's pop down. I guess we should be so, celebrating. They're not still really going up as fast. Yeah, we can talk about that in a second, but let's let's get some commentary here. We got some commentary from the peanut gallery. After years of huge pandemic-driven price growth, King County home prices peaked in, in May of 2022 at nearly 1 million and have since fallen 9%. But a limited supply of homes for sale keeps prices from plummeting further. Quote, it still favors towards a seller's market. Now, pop down a little more. Economists and brokers say high mortgage rates are keeping inventory tight because many homeowners just aren't interested in moving on to a new home with a higher mortgage rate unless they absolutely have to sell. Quote, it's a market of need versus a market of want, <laughs> said uh, Capitol Hill Compass agent Jesse Colbert Boucher. Here we're not we're still not talking about like necessarily need in terms of like the need for housing, just like the cha the changing market conditions of property ownership are, you know, the need is still the profit imperative here. <laughs> well, and the key thing here, and this is the biggest takeaway that I want everybody to get, because this is what everyone's worried about. So far, home prices haven't fallen enough to cut into most sellers' profits. And isn't that what we were really waiting to hear about this entire time? If you're selling your home, you'll still uh, become an accidental millionaire. No, so this is part of like a whole series of stories around the country this week that are all coming out about the same time about how the housing market is just basically completely stuck. Uh, nobody's buying, right? Like buying has gone way down because of interest rates, right? You know, at 7% at this point, right? So rising interest rates have killed off home buying. Uh, there was even an article in Market Insider about how uh, private equity firms, their home purchases have essentially collapsed. Like they're no longer buying houses at the clip they were. Or really well, they were gobbling them up. Yeah. Well, they've already yeah, got so many, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And I think they're just waiting for the interest rates to go back down again, too, as I think the thing. Uh, but the fascinating thing is, despite the fact that the demand has collapsed, mysteriously, the, the forces of supply and demand have managed to work together through some sort of natural process, I'm sure, uh, to make sure that home prices actually maintain their current value across the board. So um, how could this happen? I mean, that's the real question here. Like, if the market slows down and, you know, dramatically, like, it's hard, it's so hard to sell a property because, like, no one wants to buy, like... Presumably, you know, uh, the supply is not changing. In a sense, the demand is changing. You know, I mean, shouldn't the shouldn't the price be going down, Brian? 
Uh, look, I have a lot of uh, nerds on Twitter who are constantly telling me that that's how it works. And um, they seem pretty, you know, uh, above board or whatever. So I'm, I'm sure this effect will take place. Yeah, I mean, well, and to the nerds, if before you if you're screaming, you, you, you all you. Yeah, you urbanist Seattle nerds who are definitely listening to this. You're screaming <laughs> at your your transistor radio like, no, but it's the interest rates. I will direct you to every other episode. We've told you you're stupid. <laughs> wherein the point is always that. Supply and demand are are never will never be the only factors in the price equation. Uh, and in fact, often they're not very important. Uh, yeah. And, yeah yes exactly. there's a lot so that that is the point there's lots of other factors going on and it's just funny that um it's not a mystery why uh home prices aren't falling really it's just that um supply and demand is not how you figure this shit out yeah and i think the thing too is that uh the only real thing is that the raise of interest rates has finally cooled purchasing in the home market but the problem is is that too many financial interests are too tied up in the value of homes, so it just won't be allowed to fall. But uh, it's, it's like you said, the the private equity they may not be buying, but they they already bought up over the last few years a shitload of the housing market. Now, just because they are not, it's not like a you know if housing was for living in and not for camping on like wealth or at best extracting rents from. <laughs> then you know it's like you if you need to move you want to sell the house you're living in right because you only need the damn one but for these for these for masses of accumulated capital it's not about that at all so just because the interest rates make it such that it's not favorable to continue hoovering them up right now doesn't mean they want to fucking sell them like yeah, yeah. they're fine no like the or lower or stoop to lowering the price to sell them they're fine right now they're st they're a stable asset if they start selling them off they're going to cause the price to go down right that they now they yeah. control this market the big fucking money controls the market here like yeah. they can buy and buy and buy because when they do they're buying from the the small money <laughs> okay uh, and it's going to the to the big money and they can do that when the conditions are right, when the, you know, interest rates are fucking super low. They've accumulated this real estate capital. They've accumulated it. It's all in one. It's all in a small handful of like commingled hands now. So like they don't have to sell that shit. They don't have to stoop to like taking a loss on that shit. Why would they? They, they it's doing what it's supposed to do. It's there. They They have it. Yeah, and the thing is, too, uh, we actually got a little taste of this in the aftermath of the 2008-2009 uh, housing crash, right? In that, as there was the, you know, as everybody basically failed to uh, pay their mortgage, and there was uh, massive foreclosures and things like that, I actually had a friend who, uh, from college, who ended up working in a um, like telemarketing office that fast-tracked foreclosures, and they had quotas if they foreclosed like a certain amount of houses that they got like over a number, they would have little ice cream socials that month. But like, you know, they're just, you know, foreclosing as fast as they could. Uh, 
you know, it could have led to a free fall in prices. I mean, there's definitely price declines, but it never like bottomed out like it you know, probably should have or a lot of people thought it would. And the reason was, is the banks just pulled everything off the market. Yeah. Like all those houses are foreclosed on. I mean, literally millions of houses, they just completely blocked out. You couldn't look at them. You couldn't attempt to buy them. You nope. couldn't rent them or whatever. They pulled them off the market to maintain the value of the housing stock that was there, right? To maintain prices. And it's like it's very convenient for them. Yeah. You know, for the big capital, you can do if you, this, you know, the individual, the owner of a single individual property are thinking like, gosh, I really want to maintain the value of this home. All you can do is get mad at black people and the homeless. That yeah. th that's that's what's those are the options open to you as a single homeowner, you know, uh, is you can just become an insane shithead and complain about, you, you know, all the exogenous uh, uh, forces of society that are definitely, you know, uh, bringing down the neighborhood as yeah. the big accumulated capital of the world. You can just not sell and because <laughs> you belong to a class that is self-aware enough to understand its own fucking interests everyone else if you're thinking that everyone else is is thinking that too and so you just don't sell you don't let the market collapse yeah yeah and i i think the thing too is to remember that uh just like dogs and other animals uh capitalists learn from experience and you know even the that dip that came after 2008, 2009, even that was unacceptable for a lot of banks who had that stuff just sitting on their uh, balance sheets or whatever. And I don't think they're interested in letting that happen again. And they'll yeah. use their political and economic power to prevent that, right? So uh, I, I think that that is sort of what we're seeing as the housing market you know, stalls out currently. I mean, otherwise, we'll they, they also know that interest, like, interest rates aren't going to stay like this forever. Yeah. Like they're, they're going to demand like once la once labor has been disciplined sufficiently, they're going to demand that like eventually that shit comes down and they can start making fucking money again, which in the case of these big capital interests that are buying up real estate means continue. will be continuing to buy up more and more of it until you have monopolized, uh, monopsonized, Mm -hmm. uh, all of fucking real estate in this country such that the price never has to go down and the rents never have to stop going up. Well, Greg, you sound a bit conspiratorial there. And uh, no, no, we, Brian, it's not conspiracy. It's class. We <laughs> don't have to believe that a conspiracy is being perpetrated to understand that the forces at work in our economy and on the capital class, like reinforce the, the conditions, like reinforce the imperatives of their actions. And they are all the same. And so we don't have to rely. Hang, hang on. What's this new lawsuit alleges price fixing at Seattle area apartment buildings. Oh, well, all right. What? All right. Okay. 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 What? In addition to the natural, like workings of uh, a a class structure yeah also you actually do occasionally uh this is uh what we're gonna read about here is the the uber of smoke-filled rooms <laughs> basically right so heidi gruber i think this is the same day actually right september 8th yeah 
Why do, why do I think this was originally one article? <laughs> right? <laughs> so coming out the same day, back to back, uh, right here. Once again, large property management firms across the country are facing allegations that their use of rental pricing software amounts to illegal price fixing that drives up costs for tenants. Attorneys filed an antitrust lawsuit Friday on behalf of a Seattle renter alleging the 18... Wait, we can do this? They're alleging the 18 <laughs> property managers across the country use a software known as Rent Maximizer <laughs> from the California company Yardy Systems to trade otherwise private information and inflate rents. The claims are similar to those filed against another software company, RealPage, late last year. First off, I love that he was sitting in court and then being like, yeah, this software specifically designed to inflate rents and then stated up and be like, rent maximizers, no such thing. <laughs> well, it's like, listen, <laughs> you know, I think this is like, I think they're correct. They're, they're correct to go after these people for doing something stupid, which could potentially run them afoul of antitrust shit, you know, if there's some good lawyers and if they've if anybody done it, wanted to prosecute it. <laughs> right, right. I think it's a great like tack to take, but basically like it is just the Uber of something that like, it's not, you don't even, again, you don't need conspiracy. Now they, this is what I mean is like in this case, they have kind of turned what can operate just as class mm -hmm. into a conspiracy and sold it to people. When really what's interesting about that is right, they're selling this like this is this tool you can use to like maximize the rent you're getting out of your units. And what does that mean? Well, so you always know you're charging what the market will bear. You know, that's yeah. the idea here is, ooh, how much can I get away with with charging when I list this unit? Oh, what will the market bear that I will be able to fix, you know, get it rented and but and get uh, what I want out of it? What is that maximum point? And they're selling them this product, this that uses all this data, you know, from around all the units around and like gives you a, you know, you enter in what it is, the ad, you know, everything. And it tells you like, this is the most you're going to get for this shit, right? And the thing is, and yeah, that, I'm sure it can be argued, turns this into an antitrust, like a, a trust conspiracy, right? Like, a you know price fixing collusion totally yeah what's funny about it is they don't need the software to do that they never have like you just you figure it out like 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 they're also getting scammed so like yeah. uh th that's the thing here is like that's why like these things don't i've you know we've read about this stuff before you know as as Groover says like this, this is coming up uh, not for the first time. And it's like sometimes the analysis and not, like not unrightly is to say like this is driving up rents. And you know what? It may be that the the putting the computer to it using the AI is going to and if enough landlords are doing it, these big companies, maybe it's going to do something that is going to get another half a percent out of it. Oh, like on average or something. But like. It also that narrative, though, also sort of papers over the fact that this is just something that operates in a market like that's yeah. how that's this is how prices are actually set in a market. It's not supply and demand. It's what the market will bear. And how do you figure that out? You fucking look around, you know, so 
so to that point, let's there's a two paragraph bit here that gets to what you're saying, right? Uh, and I think it's to the the primary problem you're going to have trying to prove this case in America, right? Which is mm-hmm. without the software, the lawsuit alleges the companies would set rents based on demands in the market. Quote: In the absence of knowledge about competitors' uh, pricing strategies, property managers can only make their best educated guesses and set their prices at optimal positions usually a bit lower than what is offered by competitors to attract renters in the market, right? And so to your point, Greg, I mean, the essential th- argument here is, yeah, previously, of course, uh, it was harder for landlords to price gouge you because they had to like... Think about it. Yeah, read a paper, check some prices, think about it. L- look at other stuff. listings around in the yeah. neighborhood. You th- this fair, isn't private information. But to be fair, that's probably true because landlords are fucking stupid. So it probably was harder for them to do that. And they probably were worse at it. Well, it took and, some work. Yeah. Which they're also lazy. So, you know, that probably, in, you know, it does appear this optimizing software does raise rents uh, higher than if it were not being used. I think that, yeah, what we're seeing here is, you know, David Harvey kind of talks about this as the part of the neoliberal revolution, right? Is this, uh, revolution in logistics that computers brought right of saying that yeah there was this thing that landlords used to do which was they would maximize how much they price gouge by looking in the paper or going around or maybe going to the club and talking to other landlords at the club right and you know that was how they used to do it it had a lot of built-in inefficiencies and you know biases and things like that right what if we had a highly optimized algorithm right that could uh take all that information but you know instead of just taking in maybe uh 20 you know landlords rents around you take in thousands right of Mm -hmm. units information and compare it very quickly and then combine that with the other thing of neoliberalization which is the consolidation of industries and essentially say let's combine mass with logistical speed and see how much price gouging we can get done and the reality is this is exactly what is happening in the stock market. It's why everybody that comes out of like MIT and Caltech goes and works on Wall Street now mm-hmm. is you essentially build these algorithms that are designed to maximize tiny edge advantages and, you know, a millionth of a second through computer trading that really only exist if you have a mass of capital behind you, right? Like that you could, you know, actually optimize these trades, right? Which are, you know... <laughs> not great for the stock market and that increases the amount of like leverage in play. It increases the amount of, you know, quite frankly, goofy speculative bullshit. But yeah. essentially what uh, this rent software is doing is like, let's take all the things that made the stock market work so well in the last 20 years and apply that to apartment rents, essentially. right? <laughs> and of course it's had the exact thing, you know, uh, impact you think it was just, it's maximized price gouging. But the ultimate problem is price gouging is not only not illegal in America, it is expected, you know? Yeah. And, you know, so what what is the argument there? You know, I guess if you're that's the thing is they're going to have to show like, look, I mean, again, like there is something there like there is collusion there. Yeah, of course, because they are all coming to the same place to look at the same data that they're all sharing, right? And then then that makes it collusion because they've collected all this publicly available information that they could all go out and get and they've put it in the same place and they're paying for it. So 
they're colluding. Is anyone going to care? No, they, I mean, they're all, they're going to argue, well, like, look, this is all stuff. This is just an aggregator of information. That's all. Mm. Now, of course, that's what, you know, I think when it's with the specific, right. That's, but that's, but does any, is is a court going to care? That is what collusion is. That is what price collusion is, Mm -hmm. is you're all trading information with the intent to get to that higher price. And that's what they're explicitly saying here. But does anyone, is anyone going to give it, is a court going to give a fuck like in 2023? Uh, That's another question. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, the U.S. has always adopted a very kind of ludicrous standard for things like monopoly and collusion and mm-hmm. things like that of, oh, uh, it has to be two people in a room who are essentially openly agreeing to like a criminal enterprise and like all this kind of stuff. Right. Uh, because the understanding is that collusion is kind of what makes capital work. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. uh, you can't, you know, just get rid of it or whatever. And I think you know, tech has always been considered outside of that cartoonish image of what collusion is, right? Yeah. This is just a tool that landlords yep. can use. And if other landlords use the same tool, I mean, look, you know, lots of different industries, people use this. Are you going to say that every hamburger place has to, uh, all of a sudden, like if one has a spatula, the others can't use a spatula, right? I I honestly think that's how like court judges see this shit. You know, it's like, well, this is a tool that they that they bought access to and looked at. You know, like, you know, when other industries do that, too, don't other industries do that? And they're going to correctly see like, yes, it's a tool that's just making it easier to do the thing they were already doing with the same information, you know. And importantly, to do the thing that is, even though regular people might not like it, even though it's extremely distasteful, all this kind of stuff, to do the thing that capitalism is actually set up to do with stuff like rents which yeah. is to price gouge look, and maximize them. Like that's people, literally the heart of renting. This, the lawyers are going to argue like not only has it all come to one place, but it's spitting you out a number, right? Mm-hmm. It's not just showing you all this information and then you make up the number, right? It's, it's going to give, it's giving you this recommendation. You know, they're going to, there's all these things they are going to argue and they're all going to be correct. But it's like, I, I think, I think it's, I, this is a way, way better case than that one last week, that UW lawsuit, which they're not going to get fucking anywhere with getting that yeah. tuition money back. This like this makes sense. Go after these fucking people. You might get lucky. Yeah. There is a case here that should be. I mean, there should be a case even under current U.S. law. It's just probably not going to get you very far. Yeah. What I'm part of the file of these cases, too, is it's literally the only way we're ever going to learn about this kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But again, I mean. It just constantly comes back to within the strictures of, you know, American jurisprudence, American capitalism, et cetera. Right. These things just aren't going to get you where you need to go, you know. Yeah. And the biggest problem with housing isn't that there's some sort of software that allows landlords to maximize rent. The biggest problem with housing is that landlords exist. You know, yeah. a thing, a totally parasitic institution that has no purpose or reason to exist exists right like housing should be an off the market non-commodity right a guaranteed right that's not commodified and um you know uh for the entire history of capitalism they've been proving that the market can handle housing and for the entire history of capitalism you know we've had the homeless we've had the derelict we've had slum towns we've had shantyvilles all that kind of stuff it's Mm -hmm. you know we're 600 years and counting it hasn't provided housing once so 
this time, <laughs> yeah. this time it'll be different. With this software, this is what we need. Like efficiency for housing providers is how <laughs> we're going to finally uh, get everyone a home to live in. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> well, it's always just one deregulation away, you know? Hell yeah. Everything in America, one deregulation away. <laughs> oh, man. Well, Greg, you know what? I've been I'm, I'm hearing the siren song of John Mellencamp wafting through <sighs> your boat right now. And I'm like, damn, there's rain on the scarecrow and what? Blood on the plow? Holy shit, dude. <laughs> And uh, like That's John Cougar Mellencamp to you. <laughs> Quick funny story before we head out. My my brother who's been working construction in Indiana forever. Uh, one time got a job uh, doing a like restoration. I can't remember exactly what it was, but some sort of restoration uh, gig on the stables. Uh, John Cougar Mellencamp's stables because uh, he still lives in Indiana because he's a true blue dork. And I swear my brother's only response when I asked him what were the stables like. He's like, man, it's crazy to be inside a place where animals live and be like, I will never live this good. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Damn. Well, wow. Yep. Well, Greg, let's uh let's uh toss off these headphones. Let's run out there. Let's let's uh shake our booties to the coog. Let's call it a night. All right. Night, everybody. Night.